and welcome to Start Right Here, a podcast where we discuss breaking in, standing out, and the path to success in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope the conversations I have with my guests inspire you to forge a path of your own. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. As you know, on this podcast, we highlight the careers of people from the BIPOC community who have worked in the beauty industry or related fields. But one of the things that has also started to happen is that I want to explore some topics that relate to diversity and inclusion as it relates to beauty. And so today is one of those shows. And I'm really happy to welcome Stephanie McCoy, who is the founder of a platform called Bold Blind Beauty. And we want to talk about beauty and accessibility today and where the industry is and where we need to go. And we're also going to hear Stephanie's story. Stephanie, welcome. Thank you so much, Corinne. It is such a pleasure to be with you today. I'm looking forward to it. I am too. Can you start by giving us a short bio? Sure. I'm an intensely focused, introverted creative and a recovering people pleaser who values kindness, compassion, and social justice. I founded Bold Blind Beauty, where real beauty transcends barriers out of a personal need for empowerment that I wanted to share with others. I created the site to empower women who are blind or have low vision to embrace their beauty, to increase their confidence, claim their power, and boldly break barriers. When I lost my sight later in life, my confidence level dropped and I struggled to come to terms with my life as a blind woman. During that time, I was working at Deloitte. I had been recently promoted, married. I had bought a home and blindness just didn't fit into my plans, but it became a reality of mine that forced me to come face to face with my biases that I didn't even know I had. The one thing that sight loss taught me is perception is so much more profound than seeing. I may have lost my sight, but my clarity has increased exponentially. And for this, I'm grateful. Bold Blind Beauty's mission is to improve humanity by changing the way we perceive one another. That's amazing. And that is such a powerful, powerful platform. And the point you made about perception is so critical because I think that all of us probably after hearing this conversation will have to like think about how we perceive blindness, how we perceive it as it relates to beauty, because many of us have probably never thought about the two together, that they coexist. And also just accessibility for differently able people overall when it comes to beauty. And we're talking about inclusion. We're not just talking about race and ethnicity. We're talking about lots of different ways that communities need to be included. So how did you decide to become an advocate for women with low vision or who are blind? Actually, my journey into advocacy, it began when I was very young. I just didn't realize it until I become an adult, but I always had a very strong sense of fairness and what was right and wrong. And even though I was picked on as a child because I was a skinny thing (laughs) in school, you know, I was always made fun of and called names because I loved to read. I was sort of nerdy and those types of things. 
even though I would be picked on, I really hated seeing other people being bullied and specifically children who had disabilities. I remember kids that would be transported to their school because at that time, it wasn't an inclusive environment. Thank goodness today, the way the school system is set up, we include kids who have disabilities in the public school system. But back then, in the 60s, that was not the case. So these kids had to be transported to their schools separate from the rest of us. And I just remember my peers making fun of them, and I just hated it. It made me feel sick. Also, back then, because I had a really strong creative side, I loved art, I loved arts and crafts, I did some volunteering at my church, and later on that branched out into other community activities, that sort of started this advocacy journey of mine. Reading and writing also helped to develop those skills. And later on, when I became an adult and had children of my own, my middle child had ADHD. He was diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. He was off the charts and it required almost my full-time attention. And keep in mind, I was a single parent. So I was parenting three children working full time and having to educate myself on a special education system. But that was where I sort of fully became immersed into advocacy uh, as it relates to disability. And then later on, my mother had acquired a disability as she had gotten older and I had to advocate for her and actually had to take on the Social Security Administration, which was a story in itself. But it was then that I realized that advocacy is just something that I'm extremely passionate about. It's in my blood. And to answer your question about how I became an advocate for women who are blind or low vision, that came about out of my personal experience of sight loss. Okay. What are some of the misconceptions about those who are blind or low vision? As I said in the intro, sometimes we don't even think about blindness and beauty as something that go together. (laughs) Exactly. And this is one of my favorite questions. So thank you so much for asking this question, because a lot of people believe that, to your point, that people who are blind just have no concept or appreciation for beauty and nothing could be further from the truth. And I will answer your question in just a second, but I just want to sort of go off on it a little bit. A friend of mine who was born congenitally blind, so she was blind at birth. She is now in her early 70s. She had her apartment redecorated And one of the people that lived in her building had made a comment like, why would you need to do that when you can't see it? When she told me that, I was horrified. I'm like, oh my God, that is just such an awful thing to say to a person. And again, it ties into this thing of just because we can't see doesn't mean we can't appreciate beauty or beautiful things. So to answer your question, there's very many misconceptions, as I'm sure you might imagine, where blindness is concerned. One of the main ones from my perspective is that blindness equals a total lack of eyesight, when in fact, 
it is a very vast spectrum and only a very small percentage of people who identify as blind actually have no sight at all. And they refer to themselves as totals. So they have no vision at all or no light perception. For someone like me, I'm somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. My vision can no longer be measured by standard norms, so I can no longer see the eye chart. So the way they measure my sight, because I have very little sight in my right eye, I only have light perception. They measure it by hand waving, standing a few feet away from me. For my left eye, because I do have some residual sight in my left eye, they measure that by finger counting, standing a few feet away from me. One of the other perceptions is that blind people are incapable of working, raising a family, or living an independent, meaningful life. I can tell you that that just isn't true. And it's one of the reasons why I created Bold Blind Beauty to create awareness around that particular topic. The third one is that blind people don't have the same wants, needs, and desires as people who are sighted. Why do you think that differently able people overall, so people with disabilities, are left out of inclusion conversations when it comes to beauty and fashion? This is a great question. I think it's also a question that's very complex. There's really no one answer. In my personal opinion, I think that one of the main reasons that we're left out of these conversations is because we just aren't valued the same as able-bodied people. Unfortunately, misconceptions and ignorance continue to persist within our culture. And when it comes to beauty and fashion, I've heard some really awful comments made about people who are within the disability community. And it's just so unfortunate because I think all of us as humans belonging to the human race, we all add value. Absolutely. But personally, I just feel like the beauty and fashion industries are sort of this exclusive clubs that have sort of a mean girls mentality. And that's not the entire beauty and fashion industry, because there are some segments within the industry that are trying to take a different approach and they're trying to be more inclusive and they understand the importance of inclusion and representation and accessibility and these issues that concern the disability community. But I think that overall, if you don't fit within a given specification, then you're not allowed to participate. And it's so unfortunate because I don't know if you know this, but one in four adults in the United States are living with a disability. That's a pretty high number of people. And as we get older, the chances of acquiring a disability become significantly greater due to accidents or just aging. So it's very unfortunate. And the other thing that I would like to mention is that the global adaptive clothing market, it is expected to be worth more than $392 billion by 2026. $392 billion. Yes. Wow. That is amazing. And I totally understand what you're saying about the mean girls mentality. 
if even we think about beauty through a lens of European beauty standards, which were the norm for a very long time, and that we have to fight to be seen even as BIPOC people. So beyond that, fighting to be seen as differently able people is probably even more difficult because of all of the misconceptions, because of the we don't think you need to sit at our table kind of mentality and not being thought of as a customer by some companies. Let me shift for a little bit. You mentioned that you lost your sight as an adult. How did your approach to living change? And then how did your attitudes about beauty change? Or did they? Hmm. <laughs> Losing sight is it's never an easy process. And I think losing it as an adult... Actually, that might not be a fair comparison. I was going to say losing it as an adult versus losing it when you're younger could be different. It's a different experience for everybody. But I had some extreme meltdowns. I had anxiety attacks. At one point, it just felt like my life was totally unraveling because I really didn't know how I was going to do this. And the fear of the grip to me, because it was like, How am I going to continue working? How am I going to continue raising my family? Again, because of those biases that I had come face to face with, I just didn't know how I was going to be able to manage. And then because I thought blindness was a total darkness and I thought that's where I was going to be, that scared me. So I really struggled in the beginning. But thankfully, because I am a person who is a planner, I always have been, I started doing some research and a couple things happened. I developed a plan for moving forward, but I also had gotten involved with people who were able to help me to get to where I needed to be so that the acceptance part of the physical loss of sight became a little more bearable for me. But my plan, it included immersing myself within the blind community. I volunteer with a number of nonprofits who benefit the community. And it was through these relationships that I was able to meet mentors and people who helped me to see that just because I lost my sight, it didn't mean that I wouldn't survive. And in fact, not only would I survive, but I would thrive. So it was hard, but it was bearable. So you came up with a plan, you connected with people, and you moved forward. You stepped out and you stepped forward as opposed to wallowing. Let's talk about starting Bold Bly Beauty and the response to it and the community that you built. How did this all come about? So the idea of starting Bold Blind Beauty, it came about from a presentation that I was invited to give to a group of blind women. It was a presentation on makeup. When I was asked to give it, I had a minor minor coronary because I'm like, how in the world am I going to give a presentation to women who are blind on how to apply makeup? For me, I had to learn how to do my makeup a little bit differently. After I lost my sight, there were some things that I had to change up because my life changed. But the essentials that I knew was more or less like a muscle memory type thing. So I knew how to apply my makeup. 
what I didn't know was how to instruct you know, others how to do it. So what I did was some online research and I was hoping to find some information to help me build out my presentation. During that time though, there was very little, if any, information about the topic online. So I actually had to develop the presentation from scratch and just do it from the perspective of what I knew and what I thought would be helpful to these women. The discussion that ensued after the presentation was so great that I knew that I had to do something to address the void in this area. So that was one of the reasons why I created the site, because, again, to your point, beauty and blindness, most people don't think that the two connect at all. And it was one of the reasons why I chose the name Bold Blind Beauty. I did it very intentionally because to live with sight loss or blindness, and when I say live, I mean people who are out here actually leaving their homes, they're living their lives, they're doing things they love. You have to be bold. If you have blindness, that's a given. But I chose that word because I wanted to embrace it so that it wouldn't have that fear, that fear that I was talking about a little earlier. And then, of course, beauty, because it was just sort of like I wanted people to understand that just because people are blind doesn't mean that they can't appreciate beauty. So that's how it came into being. The response to it has been great. I wasn't prepared for the encouragement that I received from my followers, many of whom were not just women, but men as well. And because a lot of the messaging on Bold Blind Beauty deals specifically with empowerment, people, and I say that as a whole, men, women, you know, young people, older people across barriers are able to see themselves in the messaging. And it's partly because of my followers that I keep going because (laughs) I actually had to create a do not quit folder. (laughs) What's in the do not quit folder? The do not quit folder is a folder where I put messages from people who share with me how the things that I have said to them, or even the other stories that I present on this site, because I share other people's stories, just how it has propelled them to want to embrace a life that is more expansive than maybe they thought possible. The white cane (laughs) has such a stigma attached to it that a lot of people who are losing their sight refuse to use it. I know this because I was one of those people. It took almost getting hit by a car before I decided that I needed to change my thinking about the cane. So the response has been absolutely phenomenal. And I just hope that I can keep it going. Yes. I think that it's a phenomenal idea and mission. And I love the mission of your platform with accessibility, inclusion, and representation as the pillars. Start Right Here is brought to you by Beauty Biz Camp. 
where we equip and inspire the next generation of industry leaders. Head over to our website, pdbizcamp.com, for more information and sign up for our mailing list so you can stay in the know about our upcoming programming. While you cover more than beauty, I want to focus on it for the purposes of this podcast for a minute. How else the beauty industry doing on those puns, the accessibility, inclusion, and representation? And if you had to give it a grade, what would it be? Okay. I really love this question. And I love that you picked up on the accessibility, inclusion, and representation, because that is such a huge part of what Bold Blind Beauty is about. Our main mission is to improve humanity by changing the way we perceive one another. And I believe the way we do this is through air accessibility, inclusion, and representation. Everyone on the planet needs air to survive, but people with disabilities not only need air to survive, we need it to thrive. And those are the pillars, accessibility, inclusion, and representation. The beauty industry, I believe, on a whole is failing in these three areas. However, I believe that always not lost because there's always room for improvement. And to be fair, the beauty industry isn't alone. There are other huge companies like Facebook, Amazon, TikTok, who are equally being challenged to step up their game to increase equity where people with disabilities are concerned. I think that hiring people with disabilities to be among their ranks as well as featuring them in advertisements or steps that need to be taken. When a disability community has a voice from within a beauty industry, then we can more easily tackle some of these accessible websites, the packaging, products and services that cater to our community. I want to break down some of those things. Let's start with e-commerce and accessibility on websites. What is the e-commerce experience like? And this whole direct-to-consumer movement, how does that impact someone with low vision or who's blind, who's trying to shop? Yeah, that's a huge one. There's challenges on many fronts, and the pandemic exposed a considerable amount of those. And it was simply because all of us were forced to do business online. However, the problem for our community, the blind and visually impaired community, is that many websites are still inaccessible to us. Most, if not all of us, rely on screen reader technology to access online content. And if the site isn't properly designed, we run into major barriers. And I can tell you from personal experience, just trying to shop for food, Instacart, for example, Because I was thinking, you know, I'm like, okay, so we're in the middle of this pandemic. Everything is shut down, but I know what I'll do. I'll just go to Instacart. And when I went out there, because I used it before, and it was like within hours, I could have my groceries. But now when I went out there at the beginning of the pandemic, it was a week or more waiting time. And as a person who can't drive, (laughs) that was problematic for me. If I was able to take myself to the grocery store and buy groceries, that might have helped, but I didn't have that luxury. So that was a barrier for me. I was locked out. And 
I had to rely on my kids either coming by and quite honestly, at the very beginning of the pandemic, nobody was coming by. So here I was by myself. I had no way to get to the grocery store to pick up groceries. I couldn't use Instacart. So what was the next best thing for my situation? It was Grubhub and DoorDash. Oh, wow. What is it like to try to shop for beauty online? For me, personally, it can be difficult depending on what it is I'm shopping for because I do have a little residual site. So I can see like some shades of color. I can see some shades of like foundations and stuff I would never buy online. I just can't because you just have to sort of try it on or if it's a product that you've used before. Um, But for somebody who can't see, it's just an extra layer of difficulty, especially if the companies who are running their sites aren't using alt text properly. And alt text, for people who don't know what that is, alt text describes the images on a website. On my website, I use both alt text and I provide descriptions at the end of each of my posts so that people, myself included, who do not rely on screen readers can have the descriptions written out and we can either listen to them or read them through magnification. Not everyone who is blind or low vision uses a screen reader technology. So that's why I provide both. But a lot of companies, they either don't use alt text at all, or they use it incorrectly. Things aren't labeled correctly. So for a blind person who's going out to a site to try to shop for something, and they come across a product and it's not labeled correctly, guess what? That store just lost their sale because they're not going to buy something that they don't know what it is. Is that the same thing as audio captioning? No, that's totally different. (laughs) Okay, so there's a few technologies that the industry needs to avail themselves of and learn to use properly. Their site should be able to be read using a screen reader, as well as alt text. Those two would be the primary ones, and they have to be done properly. So it should be tested by someone who would be utilizing the site in this way to make sure that it's up to par. Yes. And that's an excellent point because there actually are companies out there that will help you do that. Not only that, there are companies out there who will help you with the alt text. So providing those descriptions for your images and making your videos accessible as well. So that's an excellent point, you know, for companies that are interested in making their websites more accessible, there is help available to get them up to speed. And there are guidelines out there as well. But for me, the guidelines are sort of merely a checkbox. So what we try to do is go over and above whatever guidelines there may be, because that way you're assured that you're doing everything possible to make your site fully inclusive. And it's not just for people who are blind or low vision, but for other disabilities as well. Perhaps people that may have a reading disability or a learning disability or something like that. People who may be challenged by text, 
there's these other options out there that allow them to be included in the process. But to answer your question about the grade I would give the industry as a whole, <laughs> I'm not sure I really want to answer that because <laughs> it might seem a little harsh. And it's just my personal opinion. But I would like to add that there are companies that are doing a good job. And at last check, a few of them I'd like to give you. Uh, Dr. Jart. I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce this correctly. It's a Korean brand. Wamisa, W-H-A-M-I-S-A, Bioderma, Procter & Gamble's Herbal Essences Bio Renew line. The Too Faced palettes, they have a distinctive chocolatey scent. Then there's Clean Logic, a bath and beauty brand, and Loxetine, that they both incorporate Braille on many of their products. Tommy Hilfiger, Nike, and Aerie, to name a few. And I'm sure there's many others out there that are looking at how they do business because right now the conversation is all about diversity, inclusion, and equity? Yes, equity. Yes. So because of that, I think companies are interested in learning how they can include our audience. Yeah. Forgive my, like, I don't know the lingo here. The audio captioning stuff that you're talking about on our first initial call, can you tell me and the audience again what that is and how it's used and why it's important? Sure. So audio description, it used to be called, I think, video description and There's a couple other terminology out there that has been used in the past, but it seems like we have shifted to using the term audio description to describe content that is visual. So basically what it is, is a narrated description that plays during the natural pause or breaks in a video. And it can be in movies, it can be in TV shows, it can be on commercials. There was actually one during the Super Bowl. I cannot remember what the commercial was right now off the top of my head, but I almost cried when I heard it because it was just so well done. And it was the first time I had ever seen it done. So it just shows you that with a little bit of creativity, you can include some of these processes to reach a broader audience. Audio description has been compared to closed captioning. Closed captioning is vastly different because closed captioning is mainly for people who are hard of hearing. And what it is, is a form of transcription of what's being spoken. Whereas audio description, it's a more involved creative process, and it includes writers, producers, voice talents, and more. Now, there is a conversation among our community within the blind and low vision community about audio description, and not all of it is created equal because there's a human Variety, which uses voice talent, which is what I prefer. And then there's the sort of synthetic voices. Personally, I don't like the synthetic voices. And if you're a person who uses voiceover or technology that talks to you all day long, the last thing you want to do when you pick up your feet at the end of the day and you want to kick back and relax and watch a movie or TV show is hear a synth voice. It's just 
something you don't want to do. That's not everybody, but I think it's a significant portion of the population. And I can't speak for everybody, but I personally prefer listening to a human because humans can convey emotion. They can convey inflection. You can really get into the story when you're listening to a person as opposed to a synthetic voice tell the story. And I'll never forget when I first began losing my sight, when I began reading books, because I used to love reading books, but I could no longer read the print. So I had to go to audiobooks. The first one I listened to was one that was a synth voice. And I just got sick and I thought, well, that's it. I guess I'm done with reading because I can't do this. I mean, it was so horrible listening to this mechanical voice read this story. To give you sort of a comparison, I've been a longtime member of Audible. I've listened to a number of series of books. So there was one series in particular And I read the print copies before I lost my sight. So I already knew what the series was about. So I started listening to the Audible version. And at first, I thought the person who was doing the performance was okay. I mean, it just wasn't something that I would write home about. But then midway through the series, they got somebody else to take over. And that person made all the difference in the world. And for me, that sort of difference between a synthetic voice and a performer who is really, really good and knows what they're doing. And speaking of audio description, the Audible Books is another form of sort of how that could be used, that using voice talents to read these stories. Right. And if you look at even the way that voice acting is being described as voice actors as opposed to voiceover. Yes. That it's being looked at as a legit form of acting, a good path for many to take. Definitely. And that's an excellent point, Corinne, because a number of blind and low vision people, that could be a career path for some of them that are interested in doing that type of work. I actually connected with the guy. I'm actually going to be featuring him on Bold Blind Beauty. He's a blind surfer, but he also is a voice talent as well. And it's like, how cool is that? Again, it sort of opens the door for our demographic and to help to dispel those misconceptions that we don't have any value. We can do a job. We can do it well. How can the beauty industry do a better job of inclusion in their storytelling? How can they be more inclusive of your community? I think that they can begin by including us on every level of their businesses, from executive to entry level. When we have a seat at the table and our voices can be heard, that will help in the storytelling. And I think the storytelling then becomes more authentic and we can be more genuinely represented. A good example, at least for me, is there was, I think it was a Toyota commercial a while back where they had a blind gentleman doing the commercial and he was actually pretty superb. This particular gentleman represented sort of the very blind, blind sort of spectrum of blindness. So he 
sort of had, if memory serves, I think his eyes might have been white. So there was sort of like a vacant stare. And that's what people think blindness is. So everybody who's blind has either white eyes or vacant eyes or they wear shades. Everybody. (laughs) And I laugh, not laughing at people who think that way. It's just dispelling those misconceptions. So the majority of us actually have some usable sites. If we could see people, you know, in commercials, in advertisements who are blind and low vision, who actually look like us, and by us, I mean people who you probably wouldn't know that we couldn't see unless we told you we couldn't see, that could help in the storytelling. Yeah, I agree. And you had mentioned when you said Herbal Essence does a good job that they have Braille on the top of the bottles. Yeah, Herbal Essences actually have lines and circles. So it's on their conditioner and shampoo bottles. And it's actually at the bottom of the bottles, which is actually not a benefit to just blind and low vision people. A lot of people benefit from those little sort of tactile markings. I thought it was a brilliant idea. Right. It is a brilliant idea. So there are ways to incorporate information and even saying that as part of a storytelling thing, I think could be kind of cool. Oh, yeah. It's limitless, the things that you can do, you know, with a little bit of creativity. And again, if you're including us, you know, if we have a seat at the table, we can help in that creativity process. Right. Because we're looking for authenticity instead of performative response. I couldn't agree more. This is a great conversation. What could someone like me or the average consumer do to support the needs for these changes? What an average person can do or an individual consumer can do to support the needs of people with disabilities, the first thing I think would be expanding their worldview with curiosity. Perhaps acknowledging the idea that as individuals, our lived experiences are vastly different from the experiences of others and then facing our biases. I think that's a start. Yes, absolutely. I'll be honest. When I was sending you the question, I wasn't going to ask you the fast track questions. And then I said, this is bold blind beauty. She uses product. I shouldn't be asking you these questions. So that was a bias. You know, I had a misconception myself that I had to confront when I was putting together the questions because yeah, you have answers. Yes. And you know what, Corinne, how courageous of you to even admit that opening the dialogue, having these conversations, that's how we begin to change the misperceptions. So then the third thing that we can do as an average individual is simply to become an ally. Yes. And that's something that we all can do. First, we have to get to the understanding point and then allyship is critical because if I'm advocating for an inclusive beauty industry, then I've got to take the word with all its meaning. That's the way I look at it, with all its meaning. Let's move on to our fast track questions. Do you remember the first beauty product you ever tried? The first beauty product I ever tried, ever purchased was nail polish. I thought it was lipstick, but then I'm like, no, I used nail polish way before I used lip color. 
What's the latest product you've tried? This product is really cool. And it's really cool because women within our community can do it. And it's Color Street Nails. Have you ever heard of it? No. Color Street Nails are actually nail polish strips that you apply to your nails. And then you simply just sort of rip them off at the tip of the nail and then buff them out. And they're just really cool. They come in so many different colors, patterns, textures, really, really cool. And it's something that has taken off in the blind and low vision community that I'm so excited about because a lot of women who lost their sight later in life and used to do their own nails are now having the ability to be able to do that on their own. That's fantastic. I'm going to look that up and include that link in our show notes. What is the beauty advice you live by or leave alone? Real beauty radiates from within. Being self-aware to me is real beauty and it does transcend barriers. Real beauty, it isn't easy, but it's powerful. And I think that once we're able to fully embrace ourselves for who we are, we are liberated from the tyranny of others' definitions of us. Wow. What's the product that you can't live without? Lotion. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a favorite? Right now, I found this off-brand because I'm into this sort of health kick and being careful about what I put on my body. So I found this lotion called Kiwi, and it is made from a company in Australia, and it has none of the additives, none of the extra stuff, and it smells heavenly, but I'm having the hardest time finding it now. I had found it originally at Walmart, but... I don't know where I'm going to do now. (laughs) I have to go back to one of my other sort of off brands. If I find a link to it, I'll include it in the show notes as well. Who was your beauty icon growing up? And who is your beauty icon now? When I was growing up, my beauty icon was my mom. (laughs) Because I really didn't look at beauty magazines and that kind of stuff. Like I said, I was a nerd, so I wasn't into all that kind of stuff. But I thought my mom was one of the most beautiful women (laughs) on the planet when I was young. And today, the woman who deserves that status now is Meghan Markle. She's just one of my favorite people. I think she has a beautiful heart and soul. And I just love her stance on things that impact women. Yeah, that's great. And if someone wanted to follow or somebody was following in your footsteps, what advice would you give them? I would probably tell them (laughs) if they're following in my footsteps to remain open, to always learn, but to also create their own path. One of my favorite quotes is a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote that goes something to the effect of, instead of following a path that's sort of like predestined, create your own path. And that's how I've tried to live my life. And I would try to, and I do, when I talk to other people, especially younger people, to be themselves, to be authentic, and to create their own path. Yeah. Find your own way. And authenticity is everything because there's only one you, no matter how hard they try, even if they imitate you, they can never bring all of what anyone brings to the table. Well, Stephanie, this has been really an education. I'm going to be honest. Like it was very like educational for me to like really understand 
a little bit more about the blind and low vision community and the wants and needs in terms of beauty and in life overall. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share the message of Bold Blind Beauty. I really appreciate it. Let's tell people how they can find Bold Blind Beauty. They can find Bold Blind Beauty at boldblindbeauty.com, the website. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Bold Blind Beauty. All right. Well, thanks again, Stephanie. And I just can't wait to see what Bold Blind Beauty does next. And how we can all learn to see inclusion totally. That's our show for today. Remember that there's more than one way to the top. And the most important step is the first one. So start right here.